as I was getting ready, uh, I was asking God, what, what is the word for the season? Uh, what can a believer do now that wouldn't just affect his life, but affect his environment, affect everything that he does? And in that, I was asking a question, and here's what I got from the Holy Spirit. What is coming, you won't be able to stop, but you will be able to triumph. And then it says, kings and priests know the heart of God through service. Politicians wear their crowns and are approved by wealth and accumulation. That sat with me for a while. I was like, God, um, what is going on here? Because, and then I went to the book of First Peter 2, 5, and it's like, God is raising up priests and kings, and I started to dig deep around this, and I realized maybe the posture of our heart is what's really changing. Everybody looks up to Capitol Hill, everybody looks up to the next cabinet minister, everybody looks up to the, to the next office as a solution for their issue. And maybe that's the heart of a politician, not necessarily a Christian. Because if I'm a true believer, then the intent of God's people is to be priests, is to be a holy nation. And what does our role become? We begin to be the people that are out lighting up the fire where it's needed. We begin to be people that maintain the fire where it's needed. Our role changes to where we begin to walk like people that are blessed rather than people seeking to be blessed. And here's why I'm talking about Tonight, I'm talking about stewardship. I'm talking about stewarding the blessing. And here is where I'm going to share with you like I'm going through my notes. Because it was, I was, it was ministering to me while I was going. It was that God was telling me, David, you've known how to steward the things I've given you, but you don't know how to steward the blessing I gave you before all of them. You've learned how to go to the tree and pick the fruit off the tree but you don't know how to cultivate the tree. And yet I've given you that ability. I've given you the seed. I've given you the word of God. It's in you. And what people see and think is the blessing is really the fruit of it. I'm going to go recap from a few things I shared last time. Um, if you don't mind, let's go to Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Because I think David makes the best explanation of this. And do you mind if we read it together? It's on the screen. Blessed is the man. You're supposed to go on. Okay. Blessed is the man. So the ungodly. No stands in the path of sinners. No seats in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the law he meditates day and night. He shall keep going. We're going to go all the way through. Whoa, I lost you guys. Okay, let me just take it over. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not weather, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. 
all of the Bible that David had, by the way, was just the law. In other words, he had from Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy. And I say all the way like it's, it's like 10 chapters. <laughs> and now imagine that with me again, there were no numbers. So he couldn't say Genesis 1 verses 2. He couldn't say the, he couldn't say anything like that. So everything he's saying here is, is what the Spirit of God could give to him to articulate. And it's later in his life, he's seen victories, he's seen wars, he's gotten so many difficult things. He has been developing now who he has become. God had already deposited into him before he was born. I'm going to say that again. He knows about who a blessed man is from the circumference of things that where he is now, he can say a blessed man should know these things. But where he was before, he couldn't say, like when you read the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Chronicles, the David you meet in there wouldn't say a blessed man should. At that moment, it was just ink on paper, and his experiences hadn't brought him to the place where he could say, God, there's something special about what you said. I'll add this nugget in there. Every scripture that you're reading on paper was first spoken. So during the time of Moses, there was no written scripture. Someone would come and say, that says the Lord, you shall be blessed or you shall be cursed. And people had to go home and meditate and dwell on just a phrase. And sometimes there's, there's a whole chapter in Deuteronomy where like, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, how was someone going to memorize this? It was like God was speaking in his ear as he was talking to the people. I'm like, how are people going to remember what God is saying? All I'm trying to give you a glimpse here is David is going back in time and He's realizing what the blessing is. In other words, the blessing of God is spoken, articulated by grace through faith and works by faith. And later on in the psalm, he says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. This is God speaking. In other words, God is bound to his word. So if, if before time he spoke his word, that means his word is the seed. His word is, has everything in it that I would need to thrive 20 years from now. I just have to come to an understanding that even in the 20 years, whatever trouble I'm going to encounter, I have something that spoke me into existence that is still going to guide me through a time. I'll use another example. Genesis 11. These guys are trying to build the tower that reaches heaven. And you may get caught up in thinking that when God came to see the tower, they had already built it. They said they were going to build a tower. They had envisioned the tower in their mind. And God comes down and looks at their thoughts and says, what they are going to build is not unto God at all. And he messes it up, put it is still up here. <laughs> and he tells Abraham in the very next chapter, the very something they wanted to do is the very something God is doing in Abraham's heart first. I'll make your name great. I'll bless you to one thousand generation. Whoever will curse you shall be cursed. Whoever will bless you shall be blessed. And then in Paul later says that you and I have the blessing of Abraham. It sounds like God is saying that I have ordained you for a mission that's greater than you. 
In other words, I could put it this way. God's primary way for us to thrive in this life is through the blessing. Hebrews 8, 6 says, but now he, I mean Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry in as, in as much as he is also a mediator for a better covenant which was established on better promises. Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry. To me what that means is the ministration of the law versus the ministration of grace. The law required you to do some things to get to a place. And now just is saying, oh, what it's going to take now is grace and truth. And that's why I'm not building miracles. But here's what I think miracles are. Miracles are a fruit of his grace and obedience to the covenant. In other words, the person in need of a miracle is at the mercy of the person who understands the covenant. Healing is my covenant right. In other words, I'm not asking God to heal me. I thank God for my healing. I'm not asking God to increase me. I thank God for my increase. It's built in the seed to increase. When you plant one mango seed, do you get one mango fruit? You get a tree of mangoes. Why? Because it's built in the seed. The mango seed doesn't have to say, God, I need to produce more than 10 mangoes. No, it's wired in the seed that when it goes to the ground and goes through the process, it's meant to go through, you're going to get more than one mango. In other words, the blessing can't be reversed or stopped by, by even the devil. You are the only one who can stop it. The moment you cease to understand, I am in covenant with Christ. The blood Jesus has shed on the cross for me. I am healed. By his stripes, I am healed. I've been united with Christ. My sins have been imputed. Imputed is like an economic sword where they say, you know, if, you, if I took you out and then I said, put his bill on my tab. So it's like imputed. It's like Christ took care of all of that. And now here we have a, a lot of believers, and instead of looking to God, we are so surprised by when the weather changes outside. We're so blown away by when systems begin to work against us. I can't imagine when you read Matthew 5, before I used to read Matthew 5, and I used to think, God, what's the kind of level of grace are you going to have for us? Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're like, whoa, I'm already broke physically, and you want me to be broke spiritually? <laughs> Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. I can't imagine how many believers, if you walked out today and someone slapped you on the other cheek, you would say, that's the blessing of the Lord. And yet what we think is blessings is really things. In other words, things are not the blessing. Things are a result. Here's a good example of what I mean is in the book of Exodus, there's a story of a guy called Balaam. And the children of Israel are coming from Egypt. And every, everybody in the land knows these are the children of God. They have a mighty God. They serve an awesome God. And this one king says, you know what? I have this great witch doctor in town that I can talk to, and he can make all those people die in the wilderness. And Balaam comes up. They call him the first time. He's like, I can't touch these guys. They give him more money, more blessings. He's like, I told you, these guys have something special. I can't touch them. 
They called him a third time. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to come meet the king. His own donkey stops halfway the way and says, uh-uh, we ain't touching these guys. Now, if a donkey has to get to that place of, to tell a person who already knows he can't curse blessed people, it says something in that the, the children of Israel could not be cursed. This is not even after the grace of God. This is not even after the blood of Jesus. This is just Jesus saying, you are mine and I am yours and nothing else can touch you. And that means what's going on in our minds, in our lives, is, is what happens next. Balaam sees that he can't do this. You know what he does? He tells the king, let's get some women from all these Gentile states and take them in their camp. Allow them to intermarry, allow them to mingle with them, and they will fall for the gods of these other women. And guess what? That worked. Now, who caused the blessed men to fall, the blessed women of God? Themselves. And that's why it's so, it's so interesting that when the enemy messes with our things, he messes with our faith. I'll say that again. It's so interesting that when the enemy messes with our things, we get messed up in our faith. We shouldn't be. When you lose your car, you're like, the devil took it away. Oh, God, go get it. There are some prayers that David prays in the book of Psalms because of what he knew at the time. But you and I now, he's saying, Blessed, the man who is blessed, the only counsel that he seeks is God's covenant. The only counsel that he seeks is what the righteousness of God approves. In other words, I'm not leaving the rest of my life attached to the things that I possess, but I know everything that I possess is produced out of my covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people know how to steward their things. I know I love this. I'm not talking down on things at all. I'm just talking about what gives birth to those things that we have neglected. Maybe in seasons like this, where the world is in turmoil, we know how to steward our money. We know how to be good parents. We know how to diet. We know how to go to the gym every morning. But what if I told you that that was just a fruit? If you listen to the message this morning, Pastor Jack said, you know what? Sports was a big fruit in his life. And a certain moment happened that took him back to the source, the covenant, the, the blood-bought Jake came on the scene and showed that everything else that he was gifted to do wasn't really the root of, of, of the success he was experiencing. Is All of that is nothing compared to the covenant because what the covenant will sustain you when it looks like you're the only one left. I'll keep going with this. Turn, turn to Romans 5. Actually, let's go to Matthew 28, 18 first. You know, that scripture says, All authority has been given unto me, therefore I give it to you. And I'm going to paraphrase it. Jesus is pronouncing a blessing over the disciples, saying, all authority has been given unto me, therefore I give it to you. What does he command them to go do? Teach, make disciples. And, and then he, he wraps it up by saying, and law, I'll be with you to the ends of the age. 
Here's the most amazing thing. If you look in Luke 24, it says, and he expounded all of scripture, beginning with the law to the Psalms until the apparent time. In other words, by the time he says, take the authority, he has given them a message. And this is after the resurrection. So he's saying, the scriptures testify of me. I'm going to explain all of, this, all of the scripture to you and bring you to, to, to a point where you walk in the authority. And here's what I found out about what some of this stuff is. The challenging aspect for us right now is we think the Old Testament and New Testament is Old Covenant and New Covenant. And that's not necessarily true. Just because the other one ends on Malachi and Avon begins with Matthew doesn't mean that one is Old Covenant, one is New Covenant. When we say the gospel, we don't mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When we say the gospel, we mean all the way from Genesis and all the way to Revelation is one book. And so when we are going to understand the covenant, we can just look in one section. That means when Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me, we have to begin looking at this with the perspective of where else in the word of God could have Jesus gotten his authority. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26. God speaks a blessing upon man. And, and Genesis 3.15, he says, and the heel and the seed of the of the woman shall trample the, shall bruise the head of the snake. Are you flowing with me here? So what Jesus is saying about all authority has been given unto him was already done before he was in existence somewhere in the book of Genesis. So whatever is happening in between Matthew 28 and Genesis 1 is only proving what God spoke. Now look at your life in that scale for a moment. That means before you were born, Jeremiah says, God knew you and formed you and made everything you would need for where you are now. And the question would be, how much of that are you walking in? Amen. And maybe it's that season of life where you're like, God, I need to get back in the closet. I need to get back to understanding what's available to me because we can... We can sit here and say, God, give me, God, give me. And he's like, David, I give you all. Not some authority. He said, all. What does he mean by all? Here's another good example. Go to, to Matthew 16, 13. Actually, I know this, you may not have this in the back. This is the, this is the point where Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they say everything else. And then Jesus says this in response. Simon says, but who do you say that I am? Simon says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Amen. Let's take a pause for a moment here. Jesus just told Simon that what he answered was actually already there. Revealed means it was there, you just couldn't see it. 
It means it was in your system, but you didn't know how to get it out. And that's why he says, the Father in heaven, once I asked you the question, he revealed it to you, and you gave it to me. But let's take it even further. And Jesus says, and on this rock, I will build my church. What was the rock? The revelation? The moment Jesus, moment Simon said, Jesus, the son of God, what he meant is you go all the way to First Samuel, and I'm just helping you out here. If, if you're asking, how do I read my Bible? <laughs> go to First Samuel, where God is talking with David, and David said, and the Lord said to my Lord, wait until I make your enemies your footstool, and I'll make your seed stand up and reign forever. He shall be called the Son of God. So, skip forward again. When Peter is saying, you are the Son of God, even though his mind is not present in what he's saying, what he's saying is that you are the resurrected king. In other words, when he says the rock, he means the tomb. And this is where it gets so interesting in us understanding Scripture. In interesting ways that the Holy Spirit has to guide us. One Scripture says it's better to be a baby, bring the little children to me. And then Hebrews says, how long would you depend on the milk? So which baby do you want to be, the one who is in Jesus' arms or the one who's depending on the milk? <laughs> it brings you to to that place of knowing God intimately, that there's no time or distance between your brain and his spirit. Why? Because he made that available by his covenant. By, in other words, once I start to steward God's covenant, which is his word, which is his blessing, I begin to experience things I've never experienced before. I'll put that trail right there. Let's just keep going because I'm too excited now. Let's go to Romans 15, 4 through 6. For whatever things are written before we're written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may be one mind and one mouth, with one mouth, glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first, you've read the scriptures, you've got them in your mind, <laughs> now they expect it to be out of your mouth. In other words, we can learn from all the scripture from the old sense of God. And now this is where I want to take you to a journey that really explains this in a much deeper sense. If I was in a, in a much different place, it's where the organ would start going. Um, <laughs> if the organ was right here, I don't know what I would be doing. But I think it would be a lot different from now because I'm too excited. What I'm trying to say is faithful men are always able, but not every able man is faithful. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16, 6. I'm going to go to the story of David, and I'm going to pick it up at some place where Prophet Samuel is, is in Jesse's house, and they're about to bring out all the sons. I mean, if you remember, the children of Israel had actually asked for a king. But before that, God had said, I will be their king, and they will be my people. They will be my priests. In other words, God had put a relationship that the highest place 
of, of any anointed, serving, blessed man of God was to be serving. And that's why you, when you look at the elders in heaven, they put their crowns down. And they bow down to the king. And here we are, the children of Israel have seen every other thing and been attracted by how all the earthly kingdoms run. And they tell God, we don't want you to be our king. We need a king. And if you read very well, the way Saul becomes king is like, oh man, what an opportunity. People even speak in tongues when Saul becomes king. It was like so good and uh, people are so happy. He's so handsome. He's so good until he gets power. He gets power and even forgets to be obedient to God. To him it was, I get what I want, then I give God what he needs. Also remember, let me throw this in. Moses had warned them in Deuteronomy, he says, you're going to get to a place, you're going to want a king. But when you do, here are the conditions. Make sure they're not into women, they're not into gold and silver or armies. Guess what King Saul did the moment he became king? Got wives, got gold, and got an army. And the people of God, because they didn't know their covenant right or relationship, are walking blindly into the benefits of life. This is nothing bad. They were still getting land. They were still dominating, I mean, the entire region, but yet they were operating out of the covenant. Things were coming their way. They were having victories. They were having miracle signs and wonders, but they were out of the covenant. And here's my point, is you can think that the fruit is coming because you're being faithful, but actually the fruit is coming because of the laws that govern what you're doing. If I'm a good businessman, the word of God may not help me much if I'm not having a covenant with God, but I'll still be, I'll still be a good businessman. Bill Gates can argue the Bible the rest of his life, but he's not going to get poor a second a day. But the question comes back to this in your heart. What covenant with my father do I want to have? The one that guarantees my eternal victory or the one that guarantees that I have fruit? I'll jump in again. So Samuel is at Jesse's house, and he's come to anoint the king, and I'll pick it up from 16.6. So it, was, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Who? But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. <laughs> Can you imagine even the prophet, the man of God, who was hearing the voice of God, in the moment was so concerned about all the sons, and saw the one with the most experience, and saw the one with the most visible accolades, and saw the one with the most certificates, say, God, it, it has to be this one. Just because someone is standing up here don't mean they ain't got stuff they're going through. And the chance that he still had was he could, still, he could still hear the voice of God. And then God tells him, no, I refuse him. By the way, if you're, if you're a student of the Bible, when in Hebrew, they, they accuse God a lot. They say, and God refused him. And God made him blind. 
and God did this, and God did that. Now, there were moments when that happened, but most of the time, the tenses are different. Uh, Jake, you may come up here for a second. I want to demonstrate something. I know we didn't plan this. I want to help because I'm not good at English. I hope this will help you. Um, hold this for me. Now, at some instances, hold it lightly, I'm going to pull it. Did he give it to me or did I take it? Hold it again. Okay, now give it to me. Did he give it to me or did I take it? Hebrew doesn't make that difference. You may be seated. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? In Hebrew, that difference is not there. It's still the same thing. I took it. And so when you're reading some of these things, you have to remember when it says, I have refused him, it is the posture and the outward look of Eliab was so deceiving that only the person looking at the inner formation, the root, could tell that he wasn't ready for this. In other words, Eliab resisted the call of God on his life because his heart wasn't ready to receive it. I'll keep going because I will come up again here later. And so Samuel, and then Samuel said, are there any other sons? And then he said, yes, there is one, the youngest one. Um, let's even pause there. Have you ever tracked throughout the Bible in the past and seen the blessing going to the youngest son? That's what had been happening. The first bones never got it. I could even start. Cain and Abel. Abel received it. Keep going. I'll skip through. Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac was the second. Let's keep. I mean, you could go through. Just when you get a chance, go through. God is moving with the people who are sensitive to the covenant and reactive to what it is. And here is a little boy who walks in the room from do, taking care of dad's business, and he's in the room, and he's not aware of what's going on, and here we are. They anoint him with oil. He's the next king. This is where the theme of this whole thing is coming from. A shepherd is anointed king. Zero experience, zero ruling authority, zero respect, even in his own home. And here we are looking at a potential king or a little boy with king potential taking care of sheep, a training place that doesn't make kings. Because if you're going to be king, I mean, a good example would be if you study the Great Britain, you know, the Harrys and these guys, they go to army schools. They go to flight school. They go to learn how to take care of national economic issues, different economic issues. Here we have a shepherd, and later on you will find out that the fish were not, I mean, sorry, the sheep were not 1,000. His brother makes it clear, a few sheep. So what he was doing wasn't major. They were doing the major work in their sense. But can I tell you what a shepherd does? There may have been a few sheep, but I've never seen tedious work like this. He has to anoint the sheep with so much oil in their ears, because if he doesn't anoint oil into their ears, into their thigh, into everywhere, there's these bugs which come and get in the ears of the sheep, and the sheep will smash their heads on the rock to the point of death. So you don't have to have a thousand sheep to have a lot of work. Just ten may be enough. 
And how often does he do that? Can you imagine he's anointing everything, but the bugs want to come through the ear? What does that say about us today? The covenant blessing is in us. The spirit of the Father is in us. But guess where the challenge is is going to come from? How we hear. Even, even the Bible says, take heed how you hear. Take heed how you see. In other words, there's something that the enemy is up to doing to, to us that maybe most of us are like the shepherd king. You've been dealing with stuff that's preparing you for your royalty, but you're running away from it because you want to go to the correct training so you can do what you truly desire. You want to leave the sheep pen because you want to go to, to the training school for flights because you know I'm going to be a pilot and God is calling you to be a missionary. You don't feel satisfied. Oh, man, I'm preaching Jack's message again. So you, you are not satisfied where God needs you the most, but you want to be so much occupied by where you need to be. I can't imagine a young boy of 15 years old. And when I was 15, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And they tell him, oh, by the way, you're going to be king. Another good example would be, I think moms are the best one for this. <laughs> I remember I was, I was holding Lillian, my daughter, and uh, during a service, and she had an accident. And I was like, honey, she pooped. <laughs> um, it's, one of, it's some of those... Moments, do you think most of the moms, as they're cleaning, as they're doing this thing, I'm raising a king? Dads, do you think about that? Because to me, that's what brought the shock back to me, like, I'm raising a princess. But it don't look like it right now. (laughs) Neither does it smell like it right now. But you know, we are faithful in the mundane, it may seem insignificant to the person next to you because they're so offended by the stench. But if you're not confident in the future of the seed that you brought in this world, you will be offended and begin to bring your kids and hide them away from everybody else because you're afraid they may have an accident. You don't want to mess up anybody's life. What you're doing may seem mundane and insignificant, but faithfulness turns shepherds into kings. I could go through the whole book of First Samuel here. In other words, what was in the way of David was in Goliath. It wasn't even King Saul. What was in the way of David is was he going to believe the word and the anointing and the assignment in the anointing that was on his life until it came to fruition. Was he going to stay faithful through the process was the greatest question because when he faced Goliath, he didn't have to train for Goliath. He had just come from killing a lion and a bear trying to attack his few sheep. Let me show you some incident here. Um, he's an anointed man of God, and his dad tells him, take food to your brothers. And then when he gets there, this is what his brother says. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, had when he spoke to the men, and, and, and Eliab, anger aroused in him against David, and then he said, why did you come here? And with whom have you left the few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. He's not just having to stay strong 
on the voice that he did hear, on the covenant he believes he had, but now he's got to deal with people who think they know better, and yes, they do, and what he's going to do, and yes, they do, and they talk to him as though he's being prideful. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when your skill set does not match the challenge ahead of you? And now you're in a situation you've not been physically prepped. Do you go back to the word that was said over you? What I'm saying here is you cannot borrow experience. You can't say because David went through it, maybe I can go through it. And and maybe most of the time, you know, people put it this way, teach a man how to fish and he won't starve anymore. I have issues with that. But if you don't give him a fishing road, if you don't take him to the lake, he may go, he may go to the whatever river it is, spend all day and catch nothing, get frustrated, and go home. I had a, another person put it this way. If I give you a reason why you should fish, I may never have to teach you how to fish. And that's the piece that's missing. If I, if I gave you the reason as to why Christ came for you, maybe you may never have to go through what you're going through. In other words, why, why, why? I have some friends who used to make fun of because you know how when a, when a new iPhone comes out, people go build tents outside these Apple stores and they spend all night, and we used to call it the festival of weeks. <laughs> Do you know why they're outside the Apple store all night long? I want the new iPhone. Can you imagine if, if your understanding of the covenant that Jesus wants to have with you took you to the place where, God, I don't care what my situation looks like. I am confident Jesus is not going to die again. He already died for me. I'm confident my life is in your hands. I'm confident that what, what may look like pride, by the way, to a person who is not covenantly related, they're going to think you're being prideful. Because to you, when issues come, you're like, it's your past. But David, the pain didn't stop. It will pass. The covenant wins. David, I'm so broke. It shall pass. It won't last forever. Because why there's something on the inside of you that will make you be like, why do you act like that? What am I saying this? David had learned how to win at everyday life from insignificant obscurity and an outmatched situation where he was in the open field. The victories that nobody saw and the sheep could not articulate actually gave him ground that there was nothing too big, too small for the covenant and for God in his life. I was encouraging myself. I felt like, man, I need an organ for this. 
What do I mean here? Faithfulness is the currency for ministry and service. If God has already said it, then my responsibility is to stay faithful to what he has said. Is the situation in life going to change? Is the president going to change somewhere about every eight or four years? Are people going to die? Let's not deny the fact. I think this is where my heart posture throughout the couple of weeks, throughout COVID, throughout all these things has been changing. I'm like, God, what if I changed my statement to, you know what? I'm going to plan like I'm going to live forever and prioritize like this is my last second of life. I'm going to plan like I'm going to live forever, but I'm going to prioritize like this second is the last. How much would the covenant that I have with Jesus change this moment now to project me to the future? Now, every day I'm reminding myself I'm fully supplied, I'm fully sufficient. I am blessed. I'm a covenant child. I am anointed for this purpose. Even Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is, is upon me and he has anointed me. And he's walking around trying to find a place to sleep. He's hijacking people's boats. I can't imagine what the community was thinking around him. What kind of God would this man be if he has such a presence and makes things happen and so awesome? But man, where does he live? He doesn't even have donkeys. The king that Moses described in Deuteronomy is the king that Jesus showed up like. No gold, no horses, no women. And the people that were supposed to receive him were looking for the king that had horses, women, and gold. The people were politicians without knowing it. And the church, we can't be that. I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick here. I have a lot more I could say, but let me wrap it up. Faithful men are able men, but not all able men are faithful men. If you're in, this, if you're in the room or you're watching us online and, and you're like, David, I need to know this Jesus. I need to have a relationship with him. Or maybe you're sitting in this room and you're like, David, I need to renew my covenant. I'm going through some things right now. Life is pretty dark. Maybe you don't even know where your next meal is going to come from. Or maybe you're worried about what the future holds. If you don't mind, get up on your feet. Let's pray this together. You're watching us online. You're in your living room, wherever you are. Let's pray this together. If you don't mind, get up on your feet. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for your blessing that you have spoken over us, that you have written on our hearts. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for your mercy and grace. 
I receive you into my life. Move in me in a new way. Open my eyes to scripture. And let my heart be open to receive. Through your mighty name, God, I pray. Amen.